Chapter 2 Gunhild's family owned three cows and a heifer. The cows gave milk, but the heifer, never having had a calf, had no milk to give. The summer before this, Kettle had taken the heifer to a nearby farmer who kept a bull, hoping for a calf come spring. If the calf were female, it could eventually become another milk cow. If a male, they would sell it. Now, as April approached, Gunhild was excited for the calving, and she checked on the pregnant heifer named Brunling every day. Sometimes she spent time with the cows just for a rest from her chores and her family. She rarely got to see neighbors, and no traveler ever passed by the farm. Her mother seemed grim and humorless that April most of the time, and when Gunhild came near she was usually assigned another chore. Nevertheless, that spring seemed hardest on Rolf. He smiled less and argued more. The things he would have done happily when his father asked, shoveling out the barn, feeding the cows, he quarreled about, and Thorvi's temper, already worn, snapped easily. Once, when Rolf refused to come in to bathe, his mother let loose. They didn't have a bathtub, only a large bowl for the hot water and a cloth, but bathing was important to them. At least once a week they would shoo Rolf out of the house, and Gunhild and the two women would undress and wash themselves. Once dressed, they would call Rolf back in and scrub him down. This day, Rolf was in the middle of a game, swinging his wooden sword through a thicket of brambles as he shouted, Saxon dogs! at the top of his lungs. He ignored his mother's calls, and when she went to get him, refused to come. Is this what you would say to your father? she shouted. What would he think? You think he wants a son who stinks? Who no one wants to come near? Do you think he wants a son who doesn't do what he's told? Maybe he'll decide not to even come back if he hears how bad you are. Rolf was reduced to tears and ran to the pasture where the cows were grazing. Thorvi went back to the house and cried too. Inga comforted Thorvi, but Gunhild, conflicted, went to check on Rolf. She found him drawing in the dirt with a stick. What are you doing? she asked. He didn't raise his eyes. Writing my name, he said glumly. He had written runes in the dirt, which spelled Hrothulf, his full name. Do you remember your Futhark? Gunhild asked. He nodded. Can we write it together? Rolf shrugged, and Gunhild took the stick gently and began to trace the runic alphabet on the ground. Odin discovered the runes by gazing into the well of Urd, she said. Remember how father told us? She hoped that bringing up their father would make Rolf feel better, not worse, but she wasn't sure. Thinking of his stories always made her happy, though. He saw that the Norns knew the runes, and he wanted the knowledge for himself. He hanged himself from the world tree with a spear wound in his side and gazed down into the well. Nine days he hung by his neck, without food or drink, on the edge of death, calling to the runes, and finally they appeared. With them... He can make powerful spells. Here, let's write all our names. Rolf was coming out of his mope, and he wrote Gunhild's name, followed by both Kettle and Father, then Thorvi and Mother. He was about to add Aunt Inga when he asked, Who is Brundis? She died before you were born, said Gunhild. Did you hear Mother talking about her? No, it was Father before he left, said Rolf. He visited her grave, where the post is with the writing on it. Gunhild didn't know what to say, so she copied out a line of poetry in the dust next to Rolf. 
She had been six years old when Brundus had died. Brundus was two. While playing on the floor of the house, Brundus had put a stone in her mouth. Gunhild had told her mother, who was weaving on the other side of the room, and she had come and tried to pry the stone back out, but the child had already swallowed it. Thorvi hadn't worried at first, but then Brundus stopped eating and cried constantly. Her belly grew stiff. Thorvi fed her butter and fish oil, but nothing worked, until one terrible night Brundus got a fever that wouldn't come down, and was dead by morning. Brundus had been buried near Gunhild's grandmother and grandfather, each grave marked by a post in the ground. Runes written from top to bottom told their names and their best qualities. Where did dead people go? asked Rolf. The hidden place, Gunhild said. She had come to the pastor to cheer him up, and now she was as glum as he was. The hidden place was a land of ice and mist, but it was the final destination for all except brave heroes who died in battle. She wondered whether little Brundis had anyone to look after her there, if maybe her grandparents might be caring for her. Willing to do almost anything to stop thinking about it, she said, Ready to go apologize to Mother? Rolf reached out and grabbed her hand and started to walk back to the house. But on the way, as Gunhild's thoughts were turning to the barley that needed grinding and the socks that needed mending, Rolf broke the silence one last time. If I go to the hidden place before you, he said, how will I know Brundis? She doesn't even know she has a brother. Then Thorvi began getting sick. Twice one day she ran outside to throw up, and a third time she didn't manage to make it to the door, but was sick on the floor, and Inga ran to her and put her arms around her to comfort her. Gunhild, thinking of her sister, felt tears come to her eyes. However, after Inga had helped Thorvi clean up, they came to the children and explained that they didn't need to worry. I'm pregnant, said Thorvi. I'm going to have a baby. A brother? asked Rolf. A brother or a sister, smiled Thorvi. Sometime in late autumn, I think. Does father know? asked Gunhild. No, said Thorvi. It will be a great surprise for him when he returns. Relief that her mother wasn't dying made the days happier, but it seemed now there were even more chores. Some things had to fall by the wayside, and far less spinning and weaving got done. Gunhild and Rolf shoveled out the barn every morning, but Rolf frequently quit early despite Gunhild's objections. And Inga did most of the cooking then, because the smell of food was too much for Thorvi. Gunhild also noticed that some of Rolf's imaginary games now involved a little brother who would join in his adventures. It rained through much of April, and the family stayed inside. For Gunhild it was a chance to work on weaving with her aunt while her mother rested. Last year she had begun learning to weave, and now that she was good at keeping the edges even and the tension correct, she was learning to make patterns. She managed to make a length of trim with blue zigzags on a gray background that Aunt Inga judged quite good, and sewed to the hem of the dress she was making. Rolf stayed inside, too, though he was soon restless and fretful. Spinning and weaving were the domain of women, and no one suggested he learn these. His mother judged him too young to carve wood with a knife, 
So he played board games or word games with Gunhild, and told himself stories, and acted them out around the house. One rainy afternoon the thatched roof began to leak, and they could do nothing but put a pail underneath the leak and empty it whenever it filled. The next day, when the rain stopped, Inga was determined to fix the leak before the dripping drove them crazy, or the roof gave way entirely. The thatched roof on the house was steep, so that the rain ran off easily. As a result, it was quite tall, and to go up on it to patch a leak required a tall ladder and steady nerves. Kettle had always done this before, and with him gone, the family wasn't quite sure how to proceed. Inga decided that she would go talk to Hrafen Sigurdsson, who lived some miles away, and who had helped Kettle thatch the roof in the first place. She left after breakfast. Thorvi, not feeling well, lay down for a bit. Gunhild was already used to the new routine, so after breakfast she went through the doors to the attached barn, milked the cows, and said good morning to Brunling the heifer, shoveled out the barn, and then washed her hands and got to work on her weaving. Rolf had a burnt stick and was writing on other pieces of wood with a blackened end. Every once in a while he asked her how to spell something. What have you written? she asked when she was done. I, Rolf, greatest and strongest of the wolf warriors, have made this writing. I am bored. Very good, she said. So, there are other wolf warriors? Yes. We fight against the bear warriors. I'm their king. The bear king killed my father, and I will take vengeance for him. We don't need swords or axes because of our teeth, and we... Gunhild continued to listen to the tale as Rolf invented it, which wasn't too bad a way to spend the morning. It was almost midday when she heard Brunling making noise. She returned to the barn, then rushed back into the house. Mother, she called. It's Brunling. She has feet. I mean, not her own feet, but there are feet sticking out from under her tail. Rolf was on his feet and in the barn the moment she said it. Brunling was standing, and from under her tail two hooves poked out. Thorvi had gotten to her feet and came to look. Gunhild could tell that she didn't feel well. Okay, said Thorvi. It should be fine. She just needs some time, and it should happen on its own. If Inga gets back today, so much the better. Have you delivered a calf before? asked Rolf. Your father's family were the cattle experts, she said. My family just farmed barley and rye. Your father and Inga always took care of the cows, but I've seen it happen. Like I said, it should be fine. Oh. Thorvi swayed a bit and closed her eyes. She grabbed the door frame for support then turned and ran out of the house to throw up. Hours later, though, the calf was not any further along, and Aunt Inga had not returned. Rolf had been pestering Thorvi with questions, and she had eventually told him to go outside and leave her alone, but Gunhild watched her mother and could tell that on top of the nausea, she was worried for Brunling. Gunhild spent most of the afternoon in the barn, stroking Brunling's face and speaking gently to her. By evening, Brunling was lying on the floor, and the calf was no closer to being birthed. "'We'll have to do it ourselves,' said Thorvi. "'Get some rope.' Thorvi moved slowly and deliberately, closing her eyes every once in a while. Gunhild ran for the rope and returned quickly. "'Make a slip knot in both ends,' she said, "'so that it tightens as we pull. "'Good. Now put one loop over both feet and pull them tight.' Gunhild knelt down by the heifer's rear and secured the ropes. Brunling was breathing deeply, but otherwise barely moving, and something in Gunhild felt sure she wouldn't survive, that she was too far gone to recover. Okay, now we'll pull, said Thorvi. 
actually call for Rolf too. We'll all pull together. When all three had a hold of the loop of rope, they pulled, and at first it worked. Two small forelimbs came out, as well as a muzzle. I can see its tongue, said Rolf, thrilled. They kept pulling, but now the calf didn't move further. Soon Thorvi had to sit down. Try putting your feet against her backside, said Thorvi. The rope was too long for Gunhild to pull the rope and push against the heifer, so she handed the rope to Rolf and grabbed the calf by the ankles. Everything was slippery and she couldn't get a grip, so she took her hands in her apron and grabbed again. She stepped on Brunling's rump and shouted, Pull! Rolf wrapped the ropes around his wrist and leaned backward, grunting with the strain. Keep pulling, said their mother. I think she's almost there. Gunhild choked up her grip. Slowly, steadily, the slick, wet head of a brown calf emerged, and then suddenly the rest of the calf behind it. Gunhild fell backward, then stood up and checked the calf. It wasn't moving, but she thought it might be breathing. Suddenly it stuck out its tongue, and Gunhild realized that everything was going to be okay. She was covered in fluid, dirt, and bits of straw, and her hands were red raw, but she had never felt like this before. She had saved the day, and more than that, she had helped this little creature into the world. Pull the calf over in front of its mother, said Thorvi. She'll want to lick him. Well done, children. Rolf was staring in amazement at the calf and the mess left on the barn floor. Is she okay? he asked. I think it's a he, said Gunhild, checking. She dragged the calf close to Brunling's face, and the cow began to lick it. Look, he has a white splash on his forehead. We should call him Frosty. Thorvi struggled to her feet from where she had been sitting. I'm going back inside, she said. Gunny, are you going to get cleaned up? I'll just stay here a bit, she said, beaming at the calf that was beginning to open its eyes and look around. Won't Inga be surprised when she gets back? Inga was indeed surprised and congratulated them all. She returned late that night with Hrafen Sigurdsson, a large, jolly, bearded man, a little older than her father. He carried some tools for fixing the roof in a bag over his shoulder. As soon as they arrived, Rolf asked to see the tools, and Hrafen obliged, while Inga checked on the calf and its mother and pronounced them healthy. Inga and Hrafen hadn't eaten yet, so Gunhild got some extra dinner ready, and the family chatted before bed. You'll make an expert dairymaid, said Hrafen. Your grandfather was well known for having a way with cows. Everyone called on him for help. Kettle and Inga took after him. What about Ragnolf? asked Gunhild, curious to talk to someone who knew about her family. Oh, he couldn't stand cows, said Hrafen, nor plowing. Your uncle was not fated to be a farmer. He left as soon as he was able. When he was a young man, I offered him a chance to work for me for wages, but he wouldn't have it. Said he felt adventure calling to him. He's with your father raiding, right? Yes, said Gunhild. May all the gods protect them both, and their crew. He paused. I sometimes wonder if I shouldn't have tried to make my fortune across the sea. He looked somewhat wistful. But no, everything I need is here. As they say, one's own home is best, small though it may be. Over the next few days, Gunhild checked on Frosty constantly, and would sometimes spend time just petting him and scratching him behind his ears. He was a sweet, gentle creature, and soon he recognized her and came to her when he saw her. He was chestnut-brown like his mother, and the white star shape on his forehead did have the appearance of frost on the ground, hence his name. 
He had big, beautiful eyes and wobbly legs, and Gunhild laughed at the clumsy way he stumbled around the yard. Two days later, Freudus stopped by with a cart full of raw wool, dried fish, and buckets to fill with butter and milk. She was delighted at the calf and congratulated them all. Upon hearing of Thorfi's morning sickness, she sent Rolf to play in the woods, but invited Gunhild into the house with her. It's important that you learn this, she said. You'll be a woman soon, and you need to know these things. She closed the windows and sat Thorvi on a stool and extinguished all of the lamps but one. She brought Gunhild and Inga in close, and all three rested their hands on Thorvi's shoulders. Freudus closed her eyes, breathed deeply, and recited, Guard this family, Mother Freya, keep them whole and healthy. To the baby blessings bring ye, Mother of the mighty, Mother of the many, give the babe your blessing. Then she repeated it again, with Inga joining her. Have you learned it yet? Freudus asked. Gunhild said she had, and then they all three recited it one more time. Before she left, Freudus paid Thorvi ten silver coins for the calf, and asked if Gunhild would take it to her a week from now. It's been too long since I made cheese, she said. I bet I could sell a lot this summer, too. Gunhild, when you bring the calf, you should stay a while. Would that be all right, Thorvi? I want to show her how to make cheese and baskets and whatnot. She should absolutely stay. That would be wonderful. She needs some time away from here, said Thorvi. Who will shovel out the barn, said Gunhild. Rolf, of course, said Thorvi. From outside the house, Rolf groaned. A week later, Gunhild jumped up from her bed as soon as she awoke. The idea of going to stay with Freudus had had her excited all week. Freudus seemed to know all sorts of things, and she was so much more interesting than her mother or aunt. More than that, this was an adventure. It was five miles to Freudus's house, and all the Gunhild had visited before, she had never gone alone. Now she was being trusted with an important task, and the responsibility and newness thrilled her. After breakfast, as she slipped the rope around Frosty's neck and led him out of the barn, she suddenly thought to ask, Mother, how will Frosty drink milk if he's away from his mother? Why would he need to drink milk? said Thorvi. You're taking him to Freudus. I know, said Gunhild, but when he's at Freudus's house, he won't have his mother, so what will he drink? Gunhild, her mother frowned, puzzled. Gunhild, Freudus will kill the calf when you arrive. Why? Gunhild was shocked and outraged. That's how you make cheese, child. Did you think she was going to raise him? Gunhild suddenly realized how ridiculous she looked. Everyone assumed she had known. Why hadn't she? It should have been obvious. Now humiliation fought its way to the surface to compete with the anger at Frosty's fate. She struggled not to show it, gulping back the tightness in her throat. She couldn't leave her mother's question unanswered, obvious as it was, so she mumbled, I hadn't realized, and turned to leave. Not wanting them to see her red face and watery eyes, she yelled goodbye to Rolf and Aunt Inga over her shoulder as she led Frosty away. It wasn't until half a mile into her trek, during which she had been stewing on how much she didn't want Freudus to kill Frosty, but didn't want anyone to think her soft or sentimental, or worse, ignorant, that it overwhelmed her, and she sat down and cried. She arrived at Freudus's house a few hours later. As she turned the corner, she saw a young man in a blue tunic chopping wood. 
He was tall and well-muscled, about eighteen years old, with shoulder-length blonde hair and the beginnings of a beard. When he saw Gunhild, he stopped dropping and smiled genially. "'You must be Gunhild,' he said. "'How are you?' Gunhild was curious about the man, who seemed nice enough, but she was in no mood to talk. "'I'm well,' she said simply, and continued toward the house, leading Frosty. "'I'm Osbjorn,' he said. "'I live three miles past the bend in the river, that way. "'I'm Eric Mickelfot's son.' "'I'm glad to meet you, Osbjorn,' she said glumly, and turned to Freudus's door. Freudus hugged her when she arrived, and Gunhild followed as she led her around the back of the house and showed her where to hitch Frosty. "'Are you okay?' the old lady asked. "'You look down. Did you not want to come?' Gunhild was torn between being honest and being strong, but she decided that she couldn't fool Freudus if she tried. "'I'll miss Frosty,' she said, petting his head one last time. "'Oh, bless you, you sweet thing,' said Freudus. He's a cutie, I admit. Well, you don't have to watch. That's what I hired Osbjorn for. You met him? Yes, he's in the yard chopping wood. He's a cutie too, I'd say, said Freudus, winking. Gunhild hadn't thought so. She molded over as they went back around the house. Freudus had been living on her own since her husband died ten years ago. Her two daughters had married and moved away, and her son had died in an accident. That had happened long ago. Her son, Ingvar, had been working on another farm at the time, and he slipped and fell from a barn roof. Now that she ran her farm by herself, she had done away with raising cows or growing crops. Instead, she kept bees and used their honey to brew mead. She traded fish and wool back and forth from the sea to the inland farms. She grew herbs and made medicines. And she made cheese. Cheese needed rennet, and rennet comes from the stomach of an unweaned calf, which is where Frosty came into it. Freudus made warm milk with honey for herself and Gunhild, and they went to look at the beehives. Gunhild realized that Freudus was leading her away from the house while Osbjorn did the butchering, and she was thankful for it. Freudus showed her the large baskets that sat upside down over the hive, and how you could lift them to see the honeycomb inside. Freudus said that the bees knew her because she sang to them, and they never stung her. One even landed on Gunhild's hand, paused for a moment, and flew away. Osbjorn stayed for dinner that night, and he asked Gunhild about herself and her family, and told her all about his own. He was one of three sons and two daughters. His older brother mostly ran the farm along with his father, and his younger brother was working in Ripa. My father says he'll help me build a new farm down the road. We've been saving money, and he could sell off half of his sheep. He says I should build a farm before I get married, but my mother says I should get married first. "'What are your thoughts on marriage?' asked Freudus, again shooting a knowing glance at Gunhild. "'Well, of course, at some point,' said Osbjorn. "'But part of me thinks—' He looked sheepish. "'I've heard there are furs and ivory in the north. A small boat with a good crew could sail to Norway, up to where there are walruses. Then I could take the ivory south to sell. What do you think?' Gunhild realized he was asking her. She couldn't tell whether he really wanted her opinion or was just being polite, but found she didn't know what to say. I suppose, she agreed. I've never been to sea. Neither has Osbjorn, I assume, said Freudus. Would you hire a captain? 
Of course, and a crew, and buy a boat. It would cost as much as the farm would. And if you lost it all at sea? asked Freudus. Osborne threw his shoulders back, somewhat comically. I am not afraid. If the gods will it, I'll meet my fate. Spoken like a true Dane, smiled Freudus, finishing her stew. Thor rewards the brave. Now, Osborne, do you sing? A little. He was once again bashful, his bravery from a moment earlier forgotten. Well, let's hear you then, said Freudus. That's one drawback of living alone. No one to sing with after dinner. Osborne sang a song that everyone knew, and Gunhild joined in softly at Freudus's urging. Something in Osborne's ways charmed her, his boyish excitement at the possibilities for the future. She loved that he had big plans, but still was nervous about singing in front of people. And now that she looked closely, she had to admit that he was rather handsome. After he and Freudus had sung a few songs, Gunhild herself ventured one, and Osborne loved it. That night she slept in Freudus' bed, and Osborne slept on a mat by the hearth. As she drifted off, Gunhild found she was smiling. <laughs>